All right. Good morning, everyone. It is a new year. We have a new series, this new book of the Bible for us to be going through the book of Romans, which is an incredible, incredible book of scripture. So rich and deep. Encourage you to open up to Romans 1 now and start getting yourself ready for it. But this series is called Set Free because we are often we feel or we are in bondage. We are trapped by things. We are in chains. And that's actually what we have this visual metaphor that we have on the stage. It's not just pretty designs, but it's a a metaphor of our chains that we can be trapped by, whether that's shame, sin, condemnation, whatever is holding us back in some way that we are in bondage by. We know that through Jesus Christ, we are set free. And the book of Romans is this incredible manifesto that shows how we are set free in Jesus. And I'm excited for us over these next uh, several months for us to be digging into it. This is called the greatest letter ever written by some. This letter of Paul uh, is called the greatest letter ever written. Many of these just fathers of the faith were even saved. Augustine was saved by a simple opening and reading of the book of Romans. Martin Luther talks about his uh, conversion, really, through the book of Romans of, of reading it. Uh, he says, uh, while he was a monk in a Roman Catholic church, he was saved. It says, I greatly longed, this is Martin Luther, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. And nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. So the way he was taking that righteousness of God is that God's righteous, he's holy, he's great, we're unrighteous, and he punishes us. That's what his uh, understanding of the righteousness of God uh, was all about. Night and day, he says, I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness where through grace and sheer mercy, he justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning, whereas before the righteousness of God filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love, and this passage of Paul became a gateway to heaven. So Martin Luther and kicking off the Reformation and then a couple hundred years later with John Wesley, uh, who, who him and kind of those who came after him kicking off the first great awakening as some came into America. And you see this incredible movement of the Methodist movement early on of just thousands, if not millions have been saved through a couple of these people that we've talked about where John Wesley said that he went to this meeting where he was listening to someone reading Luther's preface to the epistle of the Romans that that Luther wrote and it says about a quarter I love that he would remember this detail about a quarter before nine while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ I felt my heart strangely warmed I felt I did trust in Christ Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he'd taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. 
This book, just a plain reading of this book, has, has saved thousands, if not millions, through those who were influenced by it. Even, you know, these things that, if you've heard of like the evangelistic method called the Romans Road, of just a, a simple way to take people through just kind of the essentials of the Christian faith, uh, you know, just briefly through a handful of verses in Romans, how many people have come to know Christ just through that alone as well. The impact is so great. And so we have a chance to dig into this book and that my hope and prayer for each one of us is that we would, uh, you know, look upon this passage of Scripture in a fresh way and just asking the Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts and in our minds that He would make Himself known to us like He did to these, you know, these great heroes of the faith, but to make Himself known to us through this amazing book, that we would just have a, a fresh Outlook upon this book in this new year. So let's uh, let's look into it a little bit because today we are talking about just set free, having a heart for the gospel in Romans one one to seventeen. But we're also obviously kind of introing this whole book as well. And so we want in the midst of this just to look into who are some of these main characters in this letter that we have. And it's this letter from Paul. So these main characters are going to be in verses one and verse and verse seven. Uh, so from Paul. Paul describes himself here as a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul says, this is who I am. I am a bondservant of Jesus. I have been bought uh, with a price that I am no longer my own. I belong to Jesus and I exist to serve him. And then he says, I am called as an apostle. Now, an apostle is simply an ambassador sent out for Jesus. That's the kind of the easiest, simplest way that we can describe what is an apostle. Is an ambassador sent out for Jesus. And Paul is, is describing himself as this. I mean, he has been committing himself to this kind of life. When he writes this letter to the Romans, he's not writing it at the beginning of his ministry years. He's writing it after at least 20 years of missionary experience. Of He's near the end of his third missionary journey, traveling back to Jerusalem. He's in Greece, most likely, and uh, even even possibly in Corinth where he wrote a couple other letters that we call First and Second Corinthians. But he's writing this letter from Corinth to the Romans because he wants to go later on to see them. So he's writing this in, it's around like, there's, you know, there's always uh, argument about this kind of a thing, but he's writing this somewhere around 57 AD, I believe. And so as... Uh, as he writes this, he, you know, he's writing this because he has these goals. He has goals to go and to, uh, to be able to reach out to these Roman people and with them reach out to others. But then he says he is set apart for the gospel of God. That, that is what defines him is as one who is set apart for the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And we're going to talk a lot about what does that mean? What is the gospel? But let's look next though at who he writes this to because he writes this to these Roman people, okay? Now, it's these Roman believers. If you look at uh, verse 7, you see it says that uh, it's to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Rome, you know, this is an interesting place. This is 
maybe different than obviously any other place that he could have, you know, been writing to you because these people are in the capital of the greatest empire that the world has ever known. And they are basically sitting underneath the shadow of the palace of the Caesar, this Caesar Nero who, uh, you know, titles given to him, and remember this as we go through, were things like son of God. He was called the son of God, that his birth was declared to be good news. So, you know, remembering this as we see the way that Paul is, is uh, talking to this Roman church, that, that he is calling for an allegiance to something very different than the one that would be demanding allegiance, that Caesar demanded allegiance of the entire world. And Paul writes to these folks who are, are living right there in that shadow. And they were in these most likely kind of house churches uh, in Rome. And they most likely came to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ through uh, people who got saved back at Pentecost. Jewish believers that then, you know, who are now Jewish believers that come back to Rome and they start to share with those people in Rome. And there's these house churches around. And, but there began to be some, some disagreements and some schisms about who Christ is. And there was actually riots that happened under uh, Claudius, who was the Caesar before Nero. And so actually what he did is he kicked all the Jews out of Rome. All Jews. It didn't matter. There was riots. There was all these, these uh, disagreements. He's like, so he kicks them all out. He kicks all of them out around uh, 49 AD. And then he dies about five years later. And then the Jews return. And so you've got, there's all these like kind of disagreements going on and you have these Gentile believers that have began to grow in this church and these Jewish believers and how do we observe the law? What's the point of the law? There's all this discussion and, and uh, argument over that. And so Paul's writing to help them with that, to unite them and to get them thinking about being on mission. And so we're here in this theme though of being set free and that we know just as the Romans, these Roman believers were really trapped and in bondage by a lot of these, these ethnic differences about being under this shadow of, of Caesar. They had all just the typical things that we would have of shame and sin and feeling like they're under condemnation. And that this book, this letter, is written to them to show, no, you are set free from those chains. You are set free under Jesus Christ. You are set free by the gospel of God. And so a big question then, right, is what is the gospel? You might even hear people be like, yeah, man, I'm just like all about the gospel. You know, the gospel is just, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm living the gospel. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm talking the gospel in my life. I'm, I'm just a gospel guy. I go to a gospel church. And that might be the kind of thing where you're like, okay, well, can we do some definition of terms? Because I don't know if like that word thinks what you think it means, uh, to quote Indigo Montoya. But, you know, that's where, you know, for us is this, this whole thing of what really is the gospel? And so we want to have a good understanding. And Paul wanted them to have a good understanding because usually in these letters, it's just, hey, from Paul, bondservant of Jesus, it's all good to you guys over there. Grace and peace to you. Okay, let's get into it. You know, but we've got this five verses in the middle of where it's from Paul to the Romans, where in those five verses, he's saying, all right, here is what I'm talking about. I'm set apart for the gospel of God. Here's what I mean when I say that. So the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, 
who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, okay? So according to Paul in verses 2 through 5, that's what the gospel of God is. Now, that sometimes the language of, of Paul can kind of, the phrasing can kind of go basically just straight over our heads. So let's look at it like phrase by phrase, okay? What is the gospel? Well, here we go. He says, the gospel God promised to us beforehand, okay? That this was all planned out ahead of time. God's not just reacting. God doesn't know what's going on. God didn't know that sin was going to enter the world. You know, God has a plan. And so God says that he has promised this beforehand, all planned out ahead of time. And who did he promise it through? He promised it through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he says to them, hey, the gospel of God was promised in the Torah, in the Tanakh, which we call the Old Testament, but to these Jewish people that, hey, it's all here in the Old Testament. Read it. It's promised beforehand. So even in this Christmas season that we've just come out of where, you know, as we look into a lot of passages in Isaiah and other passages that proclaim who the Messiah will be, that this gospel was planned and promised ahead of time. Now, here's the thing. The crux of the gospel is concerning his son. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If you get confused, somebody says, hey, what's the gospel? What do you believe the gospel is? And you're kind of like, um, uh, just good Jesus, you know, just do that whole Sunday school answer thing. Just spurt out Jesus and then you're, you're good. Okay. You're basically right. If you could just like hone in on that. What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus. And I love how he kind of goes through here of what Jesus has done, what this gospel message is. But it's all about Jesus. You know, you might be, I'm all about the gospel. I'm all about this. I'm the gospel church. You know, whatever. How about this? I'm a Jesus church. I'm all about Jesus. That makes it easy. Okay? That's what we believe. That's who we believe in. The gospel is a person. The gospel is Jesus Christ. So it's all about him. And now what has he done? Paul explains it here. Paul says, hey, Jesus was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. So we start to get into this whole, he's fully God, fully man thing. That there's a fully man part of who Jesus is. That he also was the king. He was was part of that line to be king of Israel. He's of the line of David. So who is Jesus? He's an earthly king over all Israel who's gone back even to, hey, you Romans out there, right? It's gone back way farther in his lineage than even your empire does. But he's not just earthly. We know he's also the heavenly king of the universe. Because it says he was declared the son of God. That he is the prince of peace. He is a heavenly uh, reign. That he is king over all. So guess what, Caesar? You think you're king over all. Jesus is king over all. That he, he rules everything. Not just your little empire. Okay? Everything. 
And here's the trump card that he gives to Caesar, and that it's the trump card for basically everything, is that they had power by the resurrection of the dead. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about the resurrection of the dead. Okay, the resurrection from the dead. That Jesus, he came back to life. You Romans think that you can just bully the entire world with your weapons of death to get them to, to get everyone to follow you. And you even took Jesus upon the great Roman weapon of execution, the cross, and put him on that cross and killed him. But Jesus came back to life. That Jesus had power over that cross power over death, power over sin. And that's the crux of the gospel, that Jesus has that kind of power. Like, Caesar, you think you have power as he's writing to the Romans? No, no, no. This is a power beyond any other. You might call yourself son of God, but you're the, you know, you just followed the last Caesar that died. And there's going to be another one after you until your empire falls. And so Jesus has that kind of power. That's the gospel. And then it goes into how it says according, it said according to the flesh about his earthly reign. And then it says according to the spirit of holiness. That Jesus is more than flesh. He is spirit. He is holy. And that the Holy Spirit gives power to us. And through, as we go even through this, uh, the rest of this book, I mean, you will see so much about what does it mean to walk in the spirit? How does one, um, be holy at all. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it just gives you a straight, the next phrase is just, boom, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the one true Messiah, and Jesus is the source of grace. So it is only through Jesus that we can receive grace, mercy, forgiveness. You know, we can only receive it through him. He is the only source of that. And most of the time, that's really what we think, like when we think about the gospel and what Jesus has done is that he is the source of grace through whom we've received grace. Now, one thing I want us to remember is as we read this is that it says this is to the, you know, the beloved of God in Rome, the letters to believers in Rome. And he's talking about the gospel and preaching the gospel to them. And he says, through Jesus, you've received grace and apostleship, okay? Not just grace, you've received grace, yes, we've received that. But we have not only received grace, we've received apostleship through Jesus. As he's outlining what is the gospel of God, receiving of grace and the receiving of apostleship. Now, we remember, Paul's an apostle, which means to be an ambassador sent out. So we receive grace... But we also receive marching orders. You know, we receive this, this sense of a calling to be an apostle, an ambassador sent out for Jesus. And I think it's really easy for us to just think gospel means I receive grace. Now I come, I can sit in this room and receive the grace and kind of be reminded of the grace every week and just be excited about that grace. And, you know, and, I, and I'm comfortable in that grace. I'm blessed. I'm being discipled. Like, that's awesome. That's a great thing. But he says... You have received, through Jesus, grace and apostleship. That I want you to believe that you are sent out as messengers of this gospel. That you are blessed to be a blessing. That you are discipled to disciple someone else. That we are a church to not just be a church and kind of be insulated, but to be sent out. That we want to go out. 
We want to plant more churches, that we want to see more people come to know Jesus, because that is the gospel. The gospel is grace and apostleship. And so that might be even something different that you might not have been thinking about. What does the gospel mean today? So let that sink in for you of what, you know, what is that calling or what is that understanding of the gospel? And then it goes on and it says that to bring about, so this whole apostleship, what is for what? To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Okay? So to go out and to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. That we know, though, that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to be obedient. I like that it says the obedience of faith, not the obedience of deeds. Okay? It's not just when you see obedience, you think, okay, I gotta obey, I gotta be good, I gotta get, you know, do what my parents tell me, I gotta, you know, like get my gold stars on my little chart and be, be good, right? Just be good. But like obedience of faith is this faith in Christ that that's how we can be obedient is through faith. As even the way Luther saw that righteousness of God kind of retranslated for him of that new understanding of it as love, not just wrath. And, and so we'll, we'll see that kind of unfolding as we go. Uh, and then it has this great just little, it just tucks it in there for his name's sake that all of this is for the glory of Jesus. That his name would be great, not our own, but his. We do all of this for his name's sake. And then the last line that he gives is, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. They're among the Gentiles, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Also being that both Jew and Gentile are now defined not by Jew and Gentile, but you are defined by being, you know, in Christ, of Christ. Christ is your identity. That's who you are. And you can be united together, Roman church, Jew and Gentile. You can be united together in Christ. So as he writes all that to him, that's how he just describes the gospel. And it's big, and there's other parts of the scriptures. We need to have a great sense of the breadth of scripture. 1 Corinthians 15 explains a lot. Other areas that we can understand. What is the gospel as Jesus preaches the gospel of the kingdom? But here is how that how he says, Paul says, this is the gospel of God. And so I ask you this question. Is Paul's belief of the gospel the same belief that you share? To ask yourself that. Like this, as we've kind of just gone through this, is Paul's belief of the gospel, the same belief that I share. And I want you to, uh, you know, if you don't know, or if you've kind of like, ah, this is, there's a lot of stuff going on there, like maybe spend some time digging into that, digging into each phrase and, and getting to, you know, have a greater understanding of what is the gospel, according to Paul here, according to the rest of the scriptures as well. But this is the gospel. And what I want us to do now is, you know, we do something a little bit different. We, we normally, we, we uh, pass communion amongst everybody about usually once a month. And we pass it out and we all uh, take this time to remember the work that Jesus did on the cross. Remember what Christ has done. And we take time to do that together, you know, where we're all as one, one body, one family in Christ here at Calvary Church. Remembering Jesus and what he has done together. Identifying ourselves as a family in Christ. But what I want us to do now, usually we do that at the end of the sermon. It's not the end of the sermon, so don't get excited. Okay, but, uh, <laughs> but what we're going to do is pause. Pause here in the middle and say, wow, I've just heard this, just kind of phrase by phrase definition of what is the gospel. And we recognize that the gospel is Jesus. And so we want to just take some time to remember 
to remember what he has done. To remember that when he willingly gave his body over to be crucified on that Roman execution device, that he gave it. We take the bread because we remember that Jesus gave his body for us willingly. And we drink from the cup to remember that Jesus shed his blood. That is, his blood is what paid the penalty for our sins. The, the, the penalty that we deserve, the way that we could receive grace is through his death. But his death would just be a death without the resurrection. So we remember there was a resurrection, that he had power over sin and death. We remember that. I want us to take this time right now to remember that. And even as we've talked to kind of in the new year thing of just, yeah, you probably have made resolutions that you've already broken. You know, and that we know that Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. That we remember under him we receive grace upon grace upon grace. And we're thankful for that. And so we want to remember and we want to worship him. So let's take this time to remember in the middle of the sermon before we kind of get into what else Paul has to say for us today. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for just what you have done, Lord, that you gave your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, that you gave yourself willingly to go to that cross to suffer Lord, to forgive us, God. We thank you that you defeated sin. We thank you that you are strong. We thank you that you are the Son of God with power because of the resurrection of the dead. Lord, that you came to life again with power. And so, Lord, we want to remember and remember together that we are a family, Lord, that we want to be united as a church, through all, all of our differences. May we be united in you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed in white as snow.
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed in white as snow. He washed us, he washed us white as snow. He washed us white as snow. And so we remember what what washed us was the body of Christ given for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. And so we remember. And Jesus commanded his disciples and now we follow in that example that when we eat of this bread we remember his body given for us let's eat together and he said whenever you drink of this cup to remember his blood shed for us let's drink together and remember Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you so much for what you have done. Lord, we thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you that you gave your body willingly. Lord, thank you that you shed your blood for us, that it would wash us white as snow, God. Thank you that we are identified as a church in you, Lord Jesus. That that is who we are. We are in you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, like I said, we're not done. Okay? So, uh, we, we've talked about what is the gospel. Now, a little bit briefly, we want to take, take a chance to see just what then is like the rest of this passage as he takes us. We're going to go through, through verse 17 now. There's probably, I'm going to make a couple points about this. There's probably a hundred additional points or different points that you could make about this passage of Scripture. And so I encourage you to dig into it. But this is our focus for today for a short amount of time. But I encourage you to dig into this rich book. But uh, let's, let's look at actually 8 to 13. And uh, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request. If perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles." And so what, uh, what we're going to look at here is that the first step for this apostle of the gospel, as he is talking to these Roman people, as he's talking to them, he said, okay, here's what the gospel is. Now I'm going to pray. I am just going to pray. Prayer is this foundational step 
as he is talking to them as an apostle and encouraging them to be apostles. He says, I thank God for you. Now, what we have to remember is that uh, Paul has some things in mind as he does this. You know, as he prays for them, he has the conflict in Rome that had been going on. He has these hopes that he has for them to, to come back and to go with them and actually to go into Spain. You can read about that in Romans 15 where he talks about that specifically going into Spain. But he wants to go with them to Spain to reach the western region of the Mediterranean for Jesus Christ, to go on that next missionary journey. And that was his hope as he writes this. And he's praying for all of that. And he prays and he thanks God for them because they're proclaiming their faith throughout the whole world, right? Like that they've received grace and they get it, that they've received apostleship. And what he's thanking God for is for how they are making their faith known. They're proclaiming it. They're living that life as an ambassador sent out. So he thanks God that they're doing it. That prayer really too, I think, is this foundational step, okay? Prayer is a foundational step for us when we consider how we can live out this life as an apostle of Jesus, sent out as ambassadors. And uh, just even a cool story that, that I read recently was this story of this church that was planted in South Asia really through prayer, that this couple had returned from Bible college to plant churches and the first step in their effort was a week of fasting and prayer. And as they fasted and prayed, they, they did a, sort of a prayer walk through this city and really through some of the, the worst parts of the city, the poorest parts of the city, full of criminals, drug addicts, pickpockets, and prostitutes. But they began to make friends with the people there as they were praying for them and introducing themselves to them and even sharing for them what that, you know, what they were all about and what they were doing in this area. And as they were going around and praying, uh, this, this woman welcomed them into their home and she had an 18 year old son who was mute, who could not speak. And they prayed over this boy and God miraculously healed this young man and he was able to speak. And through, like, people started to hear about that, and the church starts to, you know, people, more people start to come to hear the message of the gospel. And, and then uh, what was so amazing is as the church was established, it was actually that young man who was healed to be able to speak who became the pastor of that church. And I just think that's this incredible story of how you see the prayer, see prayer as this foundational step of being an ambassador, being an apostle sent out. We pray. We pray and we thank God for the way that He's working amongst the people that we hope to reach. And we pray that we could have an impact, that we could, you know, as Paul's prayer for them was that he could visit them. He wanted to visit them. He wanted to prepare them to be able to go. Let's go. Let's go on mission together. I want us to have a good understanding. And so I'm going to write you this incredible letter to have you have a good understanding of what the message is that we're sharing, but then we will go together. So he wants to visit them and he wants to impart to them, it says, some spiritual gift. There's actually like a lot of really an unknown sense of what this is all about, but in the sense of it being just, I I want you to have some sort of gift from the Spirit of God to be able to live your life as an apostle, as one that is sent out, that we, we receive spiritual gifts 
from God to be able to minister to the body and to be able to, you know, to reach out to others. And, and so that he would, he wanted that they would have a gift that they could use as they go on to live on mission to go reach Spain and, and the rest of the world for Jesus. And then he simply prays that they would be mutually encouraged. That this, his prayer for them is this prayer of encouragement for one another. I want to learn from you. I want to be able to teach you. I want to be able to receive a gift. I want to be able to see you receive a gift. Like it's just this sense of this mutual respect and encouragement and love for one another that he has. But I ask you a simple question here is that for you to ask yourself, do I value prayer in the way that Paul models here? Do I value prayer in this way? Would I be, have prayer as this foundational step of how I would see, you know, my ministry as one that is sent out into the domains of the world that I'm sent out into? And so as we consider that question, let's look at the last chunk of this, uh, of this awesome passage that we're looking at today. And that's 14 to 17. It says, Paul says this, he goes, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And so we ask, Are we passionate about the gospel? Are we eager in this way where Paul says, I am eager to share the gospel with you? You know, he has this sense of passion and eagerness to share with them and to join in with them. And and so we have to like consider that for ourselves. Are we eager? Are we passionate? Because you see, the gospel is for everyone. That Paul even takes this interesting little sort of jab at the Romans here where Really, he, he's calling them barbarians, okay? Because the way the, the world had worked for the Greeks, the Greeks thought they were, you know, everything and the end all of, of all cultural enlightenment. And so they had Greeks, is what they were, and then everyone else, barbarians, okay? That's just the Greeks, everyone else, barbarians. Oh, you speak that barbaric language of Latin? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> and, and for them, so everyone else in the world's barbarians. And then the same way, a, a similar way, the Jews, it was the Jews, they were themselves, and then everyone else are the Gentiles. So it's just, you've got the Greeks and everyone else, the Jews, everyone else. And Paul is like, hey, Romans, like, this message is for you, even though you're barbarians, right? And, and, uh, and then as he says this, he says, the gospel's for everyone. The gospel's for the wise and the foolish, the Greeks, the barbarians, the Jew, the, the Gentile. The gospel's for everyone. And, and we don't play favorites with the gospel. We take the gospel to everyone. And that's what he's about was taking the gospel to everyone. That we are under obligation to share the gospel with high status, low status, no status. It doesn't matter. The gospel is for all and that we... We want, like, even our understanding of the gospel that here at Calvary, that the gospel's for everyone, that we want to reach out to everyone. We want uh, to be able to take God's word to everyone. And so I have that challenge for all of us, for myself in this, that we would be willing to do that, to take that gospel out to whoever God is putting on our hearts to do that. And one uh, ministry I love that gives us a great opportunity to do that is coming soon, and it's called the Alpha Course. And it's starting the, the first Wednesday night in February. And 
I bring it up here because it's just, I can see how it's been such an incredible way for people that are super different from one another, across ages, ethnicities, and beliefs, to come together in one room and to be able to, to learn some, but be able to really ask questions, to put out like questions that maybe you think are dumb questions, or questions that could be considered controversial, or have thoughts that might go against the grain, and you don't know if that's okay, but it's a place where you can. You can come, and then those questions can be asked, and then we process those questions at, at table groups, and it's just... It's really been awesome to see how it truly is a safe place to ask those kinds of questions and to have those sorts of opinions that maybe you don't feel safe having all the time, but those can be discussed and looked at through God's word. And so I encourage you, if you are feeling called to be an apostle, an ambassador sent out, you can bring people to that to have great conversations over good food and some good uh, teaching even as well. And then to be able to process that together, that could be a great way to do that. But also for you, if you would want to come and to be a part of a conversation like that, that you can come in and that could be a safe place for you across all sorts of, of different lines that, that we can come and find who is Jesus? Ask him these big questions, these sort of existential questions about, you know, the world and existence and God and all of these things. And so I encourage you uh, to come and be a part of that. You'll hear more about that this month. But uh, one thing I have in here is that I think that many of us have no reaction to the gospel. You hear about the gospel, maybe even, you know, that first part of the sermon as we're going through all this thing of the gospel. It's possible that you could have been sitting there saying like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I've heard this before, you know? And that's very, very likely that that could even been your response. But like, I encourage us like to consider, what is my reaction to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it, yeah, yeah, is it, I know already, kind of like move on to something else? Or what is it? Because he says, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all those that, who would believe that when we announce that Jesus is the crucified and risen Lord of the world, something is happening. Something takes place when we announce that. Something powerful as we announce that Jesus died and rose again. That, that like everything is changing. It can't be the same anymore. When we talk about the gospel, we can't just stay status quo as we hear about the gospel of God. And so I ask, is that moving you in some way? Is that changing you in some way? Because God is saying everything is changed. Everything is different because of Jesus. And so maybe you've received grace and you think, yeah, yeah, I've heard the gospel. It's because I, that means I get to receive grace. But maybe God is saying to you today, whoa, there's more than that. You've received grace and apostleship. You are sent out ambassadors and that is the gospel of God. And I hope that provokes a reaction inside of you of how you would then live. And that I hope that we are not ashamed of the gospel, as this passage talks about. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And our, our modern Western kind of understanding of that is to be kind of embarrassed. You know, like, oh, I don't want to talk about Jesus at work. That's, that's kind of embarrassing or, you know, it's inappropriate or whatever. No, 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 no. For Paul, when he talks about ashamed, this word really means fear, okay? I'm not afraid to share the gospel because I'm going to share a message that Jesus is Lord, you know, 
amongst, like, under the shadow of the palace of Caesar, who claims to be the ruler of the entire world, and will have your head if you say someone else is Lord. This is the challenge that he was under. It's not about an embarrassment at work or with our friends or, I don't want to be that Jesus guy, you know? Like, there is such an intense sense of, like, his courage when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I will come in and share the gospel wherever because that's how strongly I believe that the gospel is the power for salvation for all who will believe in it. And so I encourage us as we go into our different, the domains of society that we uh, inhabit on a weekly basis, whether that's a trade or a service industry or the home or education or like public policy in some way or the arts or whatever, you know, whatever the business realm that you are in, whatever that is, that you would be an ambassador sent into that domain of society to, to, to preach the gospel, to be able to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into those domains. And so I simply ask you, is my heart, for you to ask yourself, is my heart the same as Paul's heart for the gospel? Am I eager to share it? What is my reaction when I hear the gospel? What is my response to the gospel? Because we are set free. We are set free from shame, from sin, from fear, from death. And we are only set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our chains are broken. Our chains have been released from us. That we have freedom in Christ Jesus. And so remember... Take a moment to remember, what did that feel like to you when you first experienced that freedom? What did that, what was that moment like when you came to this salvation relationship with Jesus Christ, the beginning of life with Him? That freedom that you experienced from all that which binded, that bonded you. That you would be like thinking about that freedom right now. You'd be thinking about that experience right now and go back and remember that passion and bring that passion that you have out to be an ambassador sent out for Jesus Christ. Let's pray and worship. Lord God, I pray that you would just kindle that fire in us, Lord, as you did in Augustine and Luther and Wesley and so many others over the course of history, Lord, and in Paul himself. God, I pray that we would be passionate about your story, who you are, Lord Jesus, and how you have set us free. And may we receive grace, but also apostleship, God, that we would be the sent out ones, going out, taking your name and making it great among all the nations, but also among our neighborhoods. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.